hello and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. Uh, I'm Dr. Brady Brewer and I'm faculty in the Department of Agricultural Economics and joining me today is Dr. Michael Langmeyer, uh, who is also faculty in the Department of uh, Agricultural Economics here at Purdue. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about um, the feasibility of adding a family member to um, to a farm. Now, I do want to take a, a quick moment before we jump into this topic uh, to say this is part of a series of farm transition management or farm succession planning. Uh, this is the second one. Well, actually, the third one we've done in the series. We did an overview one, and then Dr. Lingmeyer and I st- uh, started uh, on this series with t- thinking about management transfer planning in the first of the series. Um, so for a link to those other podcasts and those topics, uh, please see the link in, in the description of this podcast um, so you can uh, listen to those as well. So Michael, uh, thinking about feasibility of adding a family member, what's, you know, this is at the start of the farm succession plan. You know, this is really when someone, you know, the, the, Scenario I always think about is someone comes back from college or maybe they get out of of whatever school they're going to and they're going to come back to the family farm. Really, one of the first questions asked is, well, is it feasible for them to even come back and and add this family member into the fold? Yes, I I usually talk about talk about this question with with the uh, related question is how do I fit into the business? And so when I sit down and talk to students that may be returning to the farm or have recently returned to the farm, uh, we talk about, uh, you know, how do I fit into the business? You know, what are the skills that I add to the business uh, that's going to help this business, uh, you know, be successful? Right along with that is this feasibility questions. Uh, is it feasible for me to come back? I try to make this as simple as possible. And I, I look at two what I call critical factors uh, to examine when you're looking at the feasibility of, of, of adding a family member. And usually I'm talking about adding a full-time family member. So that'll be the focus today is adding a full-time family member. Uh, You can change the metrics that we talk about uh, to reflect the fact that you might be coming back part-time. But let's focus on on, on coming back, you know, coming back to the farm uh, and I'm going to work for the farm full-time. The first thing I I talk to them about is gross revenue. Is there enough gross revenue uh, in the farm uh, to support another person? Uh, And a second related question is how profitable has the farm been historically? Is the farm profitable enough along with this gross revenue uh, for, for, uh, for us to add a family member or someone to come back uh, to the farm? Yeah, and you bring up a good point. This is really intermingled with the other topic from the podcast we've already done about the, the management transfer because a lot of the, the aspects of, well, what's the role of this person coming back, how to d- determine that, is inherently tied to well, what are their capabilities, what do they want to do, how do they want to be integrated in, in, back into the farm, um, and their, their day-to-day roles and uh, role and responsibility. Uh, so you bring up the gross revenue, so that the two critical factors related to feasibility of adding a family member to the farm really is, is that gross revenue test and the profitability test. And also, um, I do want to take a, a quick pause here to mention um, for those of you, if you want to follow along to this podcast, or if you want to see uh, a document that's related that we're that we're referencing in this podcast, you can go to the Purdue Commercial agricultural website or Center for Commercial Agricultural website, and the document is called, Is It Feasible for My Farm to Add an Operator or a Hired Employee? 
Um, so Michael, uh, thinking about these two tests, what, what do we need to know about this gross revenue or profitability test in, in thinking about adding a, a person back to the farm? Yeah, before we get into specific uh, rules of thumb that I've, I've developed, let's talk a little bit about how to calculate gross revenue and profitability. Gross revenue, we take our crop and livestock sales, government payments, crop insurance indemnity payments, any other miscellaneous income we might have, and we adjust for ending and beginning inventories. And so uh, ending minus beginning inventories, uh, we add that to the cash sales to come up with an accrual gross revenue. And so we are talking about accrual gross revenue uh, on the Center for Commercial Agriculture website. We have publications related to income statement and how to calculate different profitability measures. And so all of that is on, on the website in addition to this publication. Uh, but let's also think about profitability. There's several measures related to profitability that we could use, uh, return on assets, return on equity, uh, profit margin. We could use a net farm income ratio. I like to use the, the operating profit margin. And essentially what the operating profit margin does is it takes a look at net farm income. It adds interest expense because that's also potential return to the farm and it subtracts uh, operator labor. Uh, that's a re, oftentimes a residual. Uh, and so all the operator labor there may be with people that are working on the farm, that may be measured with family living expenditures or owner withdrawals, uh, something like that. So we take that net farm income, add interest, subtract uh, this, this uh, operator labor, and then we divide by gross revenue. And so it really is a margin uh, related to that gross revenue. And obviously, if the, the farm's been more profitable, uh, you're not, you're not going to need as much gross revenue uh, per operator or per worker in the business if the farm has been hasn't been very profitable compared to, to other farms, uh, then you're going to need more gross revenue. But using average profitability, uh, reflecting the fact that we need money for owner withdrawals uh, for the new operator and, and the existing operators, uh, but also uh, if someone's coming back to the farm, we're also going to grow the business. And so we're going to need some additional funds uh, to pay for storage bins, machinery over time. And so uh, as a rule of thumb, uh, let's say that we needed $100,000 uh, of, of, of profit, um, you know, after we subtracted the, uh, you know, at just kind of a net farm income. We need a we need $100,000 of, of profit uh, in the business. And then we take, a, and, you know, and then, and, and we use average profitability. Uh, the rule of thumb that I, I, I come up with using that, using, uh, some averages is we need $500,000 of gross revenue per worker. And so the reason I say per worker, if we have full-time employees on the business, we need to generate gross revenue for them too. If we have part-time employees, we need to generate gross revenue for them too. And so combining average profitability uh, with my definition of gross revenue, that's a rule of thumb that I've come up with. Again, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're not, uh, if you're below average profitability, maybe you shouldn't come back but you're going to need more gross revenue per worker. If you're if you're more profitable than average, you're going to need less gross revenue per worker. But that gives some people an idea of how much is typical, typically needed uh, to support a full-time person. Yeah, and for those listening, all, all he's doing is taking the gross revenue um, or, or the profitability needed and dividing by the profit margin. So if you need 100000 of uh net income and your profit margin is 0.05, you're just taking that 100,000 and dividing it by the, the 5% or the 0.05 
profit margin. So you can easily take the profit, your average profit margin, um, and just divide it into the the net income that you need out of out of the farm to find the gross uh, revenue number you need. And obviously, the the lower your profit margin, the higher that gross revenue number. If you divide by a smaller number, it's going to be a larger number you get out of that. Uh, Thinking about this profit margin number, Michael, because this intrigues me, because I use profit margin a lot when I think about agribusinesses. Profit margin is an efficiency measure. So I always think of it as like a cost efficiency measure. It's the amount of dollars you keep as a business relative to the amount of gross sales you have as a farm, right? So for every dollar of, of output that goes off your farm, uh, um, off your farm gate, how much do we keep in, in net profit? So it, it's an efficiency measure as well. Is there any benchmark? So let's say, uh, a farm is looking at this, they want to add an employee or a family member back in, and, and maybe it's really that profit margin that's that's really making that gross revenue number unattainable to add that person back in. Um, is there any benchmarks that you should try to get your farm up to on that profit margin that may help with this? Yes, uh, over a long period of time, you know, based on some Farm Management Association data, uh, I come up with a benchmark for the profit margin of 20%. That's where I've come up with this $500,000 per worker number, a margin of 20%. Having said that, if you look at the average since 2007, for example, it's only 15%. Uh, using the University of Minnesota FinBin database, which is a really good source uh, to look at uh, uh, financial performance metrics. Uh, and so I'm assuming that you're gonna be more profitable than the average. Uh, that's, a, that's a very important point. If your profit margin, if you looked at your historical profit margin, you know, again, going back in time, uh, going back, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years, if that historical profit margin is 10%, not only do you need more gross revenue because you have a lower profit margin, you really need to do some head scratching. What have we done or what 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 is the characteristics of this farm or what have we done uh, to create a situation where we're below average profitability? And so there's a, there's a lot of learning that can take place just by calculating these metrics. Uh, if, and, uh, on the other hand, if you, if you, looked at your historical performance and, and you are at 20% rather than an average of 15%, um, you know, then you need to ask yourself, if, if I come back to the farm or this person comes back to the farm, can we maintain that profitability or is the operator labor, uh, you know, uh, that I'm going to need, uh, you know, as an owner withdrawal for that, for the person that's coming back, is that going to be so large that it's going to reduce our profit margin? So, so there's a lot you can learn just by calculating gross revenue, calculating net farm income, and calculating this profit margin ratio, because it says a lot about the business. And then let's go a little further here, um, Brady. This is something I know that you look at for agribusinesses and for farms. This also relates to strategy. You know, if, if, if your profit margin's only 15% when you calculate it, just average, you need to think about what has the farm strategy been in the last several years is there something I can do to change the strategy to make this farm more profitable? Uh, and, and, so you, and so that's why this feasibility test is so important. It gives us some rules of thumb about how large the farm needs to be, but more importantly, it forces us to think about the strategy that's been pursued historically and the strategy that's going to be needed down the road. Uh, let's, let's give a specific example, uh, and then you can uh, uh, you know, add some information to this. Let's say the strategy historically has just been, be a, I'm going to produce commodities, commodity corn and soybeans, sell them at the local market, and I'm going to try to be a low-cost producer. That's been my 
father and grandfather strategy for decades. Uh, if, if let's say that it's difficult for the farm to expand, we may need to change that strategy. We may have to look at maybe selling some of our, some of our products at, at, with higher value, maybe non-GMO corn, maybe seed soybeans, maybe something like that, waxy corn, maybe something like that's going to be needed uh, to, to try to increase that profit margin, uh, knowing that it's going to be difficult for the farm to expand, uh, uh, you know, knowing that that's going to be a problem. If we increase our profitability, maybe it is feasible uh, for someone to come back to this farm. And so all of this stuff is intertwined. Uh, and so, uh, so once you calculate these metrics, you can also think about, uh, you know, think about management issues and specifically farm strategy. Yeah, so there, there's a couple points that I want to point out um, and take away from what you just said. So, so first off, just from a broad perspective, this is not an overnight calculation where you can say, yep, we're ready to do it. Um, really, it, you know, if you know that there is someone in the family or someone, you know, in this broader succession plan framework that we've been talking about over these podcasts, this is something that if you know they're going to be coming back in three, four years, you need to start doing this analysis now because if, if this analysis says, hey, we can't really take someone else on right now um, and, you know, have the income for another to support another household, you need to get the farm to that uh, stage where you can do that, either from a profit margin perspective or from the, you know, if your profit margin is fine, then that just means you maybe need to go out and acquire land or, or rent more land to get the size to increase that gross revenue that you need. But this may not be something that can you can just transform your farm overnight. It may take several years to get to the point where you can bring on someone else in, into the fold. So it definitely takes some planning and, and some preparation um, over a couple years. And, and when I talk to students, there, there's really two camps, two camps of students. Some of the students are going back to operations where they can easily fit in another person. They need more labor. They're, they're large enough that they can absorb that person relatively easily. That's the good case, obviously. There's also situations where currently, as you, as you, as you indicated, the farm's not ready to add a full-time person. Then you need to think about uh, you know, if I get a job close to where the farm's located and I help on the farm and I do that for a few years, think about how many years is it going to take and what do we need to do differently so that I can start farming maybe five years from now. I can farm uh, full-time five years from now. And so, and, so, uh, and so I work with students that are in both of those situations. In fact, I've got family members back in Nebraska. That's the plan. They're not going to come back and farm full-time necessarily. They've got They've got job and agribusinesses. It's more of a phase in. Uh, you know, so it really, it's a phase in until till, uh, till uh, one of the family members is getting closer to retirement. Once that happens, uh, then I can become a full-time operator. And so, and so just because the farm is not big enough today uh, to, to support a full-time operator, that doesn't mean it, it won't necessarily be big enough five years from now. But all those things need to be discussed. Yeah. Uh, communication is extremely important between family members and say, okay, uh, this is what has to change in order for us to be able to bring somebody back full time three years from now, four years from now, five years from now. So, and, and then the second point I'd like to make, and this really ties into the management transfer topic that, that we've already discussed, but um, even if you're in one of those farms or one of those people that's in the second camp that you mentioned, where maybe the farm's not ready right now. Um, I am a huge advocate of this, and I wish we saw more of this in agriculture. 
that's it's not necessarily a bad position to be in. And the reason I say that is, is this allows the person, okay, though the farm isn't ready for you to come back and, and start in that succession planning right now because the farm can't take on another person. This is actually a great opportunity to go maybe find work at another farm and learn from another farmer. Um, you know, I wish we, in agriculture, we had a, a little bit more of this because um, I, I think sometimes uh, the successful farms keep their secrets, uh, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a locked box and don't let them out. And, you know, sometimes you can learn a lot. You know, my first internship out of college, the, the company was a large company. And one of the things that they really touted was, hey, if you come work here, uh, we'll put you in this division for six months. It, you know, the training program, you got to see the entire company. This, you got to learn skills, every position you moved, um, gave you a broader view of the company. And, and it was just a great training experience. Same thing for going to work on another farm. You could go learn a lot more, you know, production practices, rotations, um, you know, management uh, strategies for the farm that maybe your family farm never have, have thought about implementing. And this is stuff you can bring back to enhance once the farm is ready to bring you into the fold. Yeah, and, 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 and working for another farm or working just someplace else. Uh, is also beneficial. I mean, the, how many how many cases have we run across, Brady, where someone's worked in a bank for a while and then they went back to the farm, or someone's worked at a co-op for a while and then they went back to the farm? Someone's been a crop insurance uh, adjuster for a while and they come back to the farm. And so, just getting some experience working for someone else can be extremely valuable. Because think about how challenging it is if you're taking a large farm and there's quite a few employees to supervise. Think about how challenging it is for someone fresh out of college to start supervising people. They, yeah. they never even work for anybody besides maybe their, their parents. How in the world are you going to start supervising people? And so, so getting some experience on another farm or another business can be very helpful. And then the second point I want to bring up um, is going to go back to the financial, the, the profit margin discussion. Um, so just because uh, I'm in the area of finance along with you, Michael, um, I just want to point out to, to people listening you know, so these benchmarks, this 20%, 15% uh, can vary by farm type. So for row crops, I think that's good. But, but I, I do think that people need to realize if you're a dairy, margins may be different. Dairies typically run a little bit tighter margins. Um, so, you know, do your research, do your, your background information. Uh, the, the FinBin data set that Dr. Langmeyer mentioned, I think is a great one because that can allow you to go see, hey, for, for my type of farm, whether it be dairy or row crop or wheat or, or livestock, uh, in my area, this, this is the profit margin they typically have. So it provides you some peer benchmarks to go look for to say, hey, are, are we below average? Are we above average? Where are we at there? Because that's going to affect that gross revenue calculation. So it's not a one size fits all financial calculation here in, in terms Definitely. of- Definitely. And also some people talk about, in addition to gross revenue, they talk about asset base. I purposely haven't brought that up until now because I think the gross revenue is easier to talk about. And until we've got calculated uh, gross revenue per worker and an average profit margin, uh, that that's, that's probably enough to get started. But sometimes I get the question, well, how much of an asset base I need? That varies tremendously by farm type. Uh, if you're taking a crop farm, uh, just a rule of thumb, $500,000 per worker, you need about $1.5 million of an asset base per worker. Uh, that's, a, that, you know, that's assuming average ownership of land and you know, ownership of machinery and so on. Uh, and, and so it's substantial. Uh, that's, that's the key point there. But that in particular uh, varies tremendously 
by by uh, by farm type because that's related to the asset turnover ratio. You know how uh, you know what's our gross revenue in relationship to our asset base, and that varies tremendously. Uh, you know if you're a dairy or a beef cow herd, it's going to be much lower. Your asset turnover is going to be much lower. If you're a crop farm, you're looking at 35%, for example. If you're got if you have irrigation, uh, something like that, it's going to be higher. Uh, and, and so, and so the asset base is a tougher question uh, to to answer. And so, start with the gross revenue. Start with the uh, the the profit margin, and use those two metrics, like I I do in the layout the article uh, in terms of calculating the gross revenue that's needed. Yeah, and, and that's also going to vary. Uh, not only will these vary by farm typology, so dairy versus crop versus livestock, but it's also going to vary by region as well. Yeah, um, and then also yeah. if whether you own land or rent land, if you own land, you're, you know, by definition, your asset turnover is going to be relatively low because you have all that money tied up in land. Uh, if you primarily rent, you're going to have an higher, higher asset turnover ratio. And so let's walk before we run, before we start calculating asset base and asset turnover get a handle on that gross revenue and, yep. and profit margin. I did want to say a little bit, you know, let's, let's go, let's, uh, let's go back to something I talked about in terms of the profit margin. Uh, I was indicating that the average since 2007 has been about 15% uh, using that University of Minnesota FinBin database. Uh, it is possible to get a 20% profit margin. In fact, uh, certainly the top quartile has a 20% uh, over that 2007 to 2019 period. Uh, we're mentioning very long-term profit margin. That's very important. They use a very long run. Uh, you take a very long run look at profitability. And I know sometimes it's difficult to come up with that data, but that's also a learning exercise. Uh, you know, to to force you to to develop these metrics and and to, and to put data together for the farm uh, to see how profitable that farm's been over time. So. All right, so let's. You're you're a farm looking to bring someone in, um, whether it be an employee or a family member. You've calculated your profit margin. You figure out the gross revenue uh, that you think you need, whether it be five hundred thousand or or seven hundred fifty thousand of gross revenue to do this. Um, what are some things we need to take into consideration that we may want to adjust this gross revenue calculation? Um, you know, whether this person is part-time, maybe full-time, what are some considerations that we may want to adjust uh, our thinking on this calculation? Well, we, adjusting that, adjusting that, uh, that profitability is, is it, you want to take a close look at that profitability. Um, if, if, it, if it looks like you're going to be part-time and, and you really don't need a very large owner withdrawal, then obviously the gross revenue doesn't have to be $500,000 to bring you back. It needs to be a fraction of that because you're not taking very much money out of the business. Also, uh, if you're if you're looking at not necessarily growing aggressively or growing that fast, keep together what the, what there is what there currently uh, is on the farm, uh, and then maybe try to grow a little bit later when it looks like there might be a little bit more capital. You won't need as quite as big a gross revenue, and so that gross revenue uh, calculation is based on is based on uh, you know. Uh, how much owner withdrawal I need or how much what is the family living expenditures that I'm withdrawing from the business and growth. Uh, so that's why I used a hundred thousand rather than just family living expenditure of 60, 70,000 or something smaller than that is you need family, you need to cover family living and growth uh, in the business. And so, and so depending on how much money you need uh, to withdraw, 
uh, uh, for this extra person, and, and also how fast we grow is, is going to dictate what that gross revenue needs to be. We've set our, our, our goals. We've adjusted our gross revenue. We've figured out we can financially, uh, you know, bring this person onto the farm. What are some other uh, related topics that we need to think about when, when we're thinking about bringing this person on? Um, you know, we've already touched on one. Obviously, the, the, the management transfer is a huge piece of this because, you know, if we're going to bring someone in, they've got to have a job. We've got to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and how they fit into the strategy of the business. But is there any other topics we need to think about uh, uh, other than just the financials? Yes, and this topic would come up at a very similar time to the to uh, to looking at feasibility and looking at how do I fit in the business? How do we how do we transfer management from the older generation to the younger generation? Is this whole idea of dividing business income? Uh, we talked about when we talked about transferring management that maybe we start a new person out as just a wage earner. They get paid so much per year for maybe the maybe the first two years, but but after a while, uh, even if you have that test period, after a while you're going to need to think about how to divide business income. Uh, is this a partnership? Is this a corporation? Uh, you know, how do we come up with an equitable uh, equitable distribution? Uh, you know, based on on people's effort in the business. That's also tied together with transferring machinery and equipment. If we're transferring machinery and equipment from the older generation to the younger generation slowly, that's the only way to do that, uh, slowly, that's also going to impact uh, dividing business income because uh, when a new person comes back to the farm, they're probably not bringing very much machinery with them, uh, maybe zero. Uh, they have zero money, amount of money invested in machinery equipment. Well, the older family members have hundreds of thousands of dollars many times invested in machinery and equipment. They need to get paid for that. Uh, and so that's all part of that, the dividing income, uh, you know, how do we, how do we come up with a, an equitable distribution, uh, reflecting the fact that some people own more, own more ground than other people, some people have more machinery than other people, uh, but, but really thinking about feasibility, thinking about, uh, thinking about how do I fit into the business, that's first. Uh, and then we can start talking about dividing business income or how do we transfer assets. And, and, and the reason why this is so important is, is some people just jump right away. Uh, you know, here's the assets of the farm. We're going to start transferring. No, slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if feasible for someone to come back, uh, how do they fit into the business? Those are first questions. And then we can think about uh, once, we, once we realize that this is going to work, you know, through a test period, maybe a couple year trial period, then we can start thinking about, uh, you know, transferring assets, uh, you know, and dividing the business income. Yeah. And, you know, I, the one caveat I would say is that the, the asset transfer does touch a little bit on the feasibility aspect, because let's yes. say the farm needs to make some major purchases like upgrading tractors or upgrading other equipment on the farm you know, that could definitely change the financials. If you know those large capital purchases are, are in the imminent future, um, that definitely affects the feasibility of, of, well, can we also make these purchases and pay this other person that, that's coming onto the farm as well? So, that, you know, from that aspect, it is intermingled and, and there's a thousand different ways to go about it. You mentioned some of them. Sometimes it's, well, can they pay for it in the meantime? Sometimes, you know, there is a, a gifting or, or a usage uh, agreement. Um, sometimes it's a replacement plan, right? Where it's, well, you know, you're going to come in and, but as we add in new machinery from the date that you started, you're going to help be a part of the purchasing of it. 
um, you know, and we'll slowly transition that over time. You know, there's there's not really one set way. Um, you got to do what works for you and, and the agreement you have in place along with the, the assets and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I would definitely uh, advise people look ahead over the near future to think about some of those capital expenditures, because if you are going out and purchasing farmland to make it, you know, to increase that gross revenue, uh, to be able to make, uh, you know, it feasible to add in this person, that affects the cash flow. That affects uh, the the income statement and the profit margin. So it's it's all intermingled. Yeah, that's you bring up a very important point there. While you're thinking about feasibility, the way the way I look at that is do an inventory. This is the land that we currently own. Uh, you know, different family members. This is the ground that we currently rent. What are the opportunities to maybe purchase more land? What are the opportunities to rent additional ground? Sometimes someone will come to me because there's an opportunity to rent an additional 320 acres. And so looking at, is is the farm big enough once we rent this additional 320 acres? And so doing an inventory on the land, but also the machinery. Uh, you brought up a very good point, Brady. If the machinery is really old, we're gonna have to replace some of that machinery sooner rather than later. That's that's a lot of money. Uh, and, and so that needs to be factored into uh, this gross revenue and feasibility test. Yeah, and I, um, you know, I. I've seen this anecdotally. I've seen this in a few farms. I'm not going to say it's widespread, but I have seen where the farm, you know, grandpa is the farm manager. He's um, or or dad is the farm manager and they're getting up there in age. And maybe the equipment replacement kind of falls off a little bit because they know they're only going to be farming for five or 10 more years. Oh, that tractor will last that long. Um, you know, and they, they kind of forget to take into account the next generation that's coming onto the farm and it, and it, honestly makes the, that transition a little bit rougher because then you have some capital expenditures. Once the younger generation takes over, they're going to want to replace it all at once. Um, and if you keep up with the, the replacement, it spreads those costs out. Yeah, I've, I've seen that too. Uh, and it just depends on how much planning has been done as a family uh, in terms of bringing people back to the farm. You'll see situations where they've been planning for a long period of time. Uh, you're looking at the younger generation and asking which of those are coming back to the farm and they're making improvements over time to reflect the fact that there's people coming back to the farm. But sometimes, as you indicate, there's cases where someone didn't necessarily think they were coming back to the farm and they changed their mind. They get a job someplace and they say, well, I'd really like to work for myself. And so, and so then they talk to grand, grandpa, maybe, maybe dad didn't even farm. Uh, they talk to grand, grand grandpa or their uncle and 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 try to work out a situation where they can where they can start farming. And as you as you said, many times uh, that older generation may not have purchased machinery uh, for for several years because they thought they were going to quit quit farming in in, in five years. This is, so they didn't need to. I mean, I've heard people say uh, that are you know that are sixty years old. Uh, they'll buy a piece of machinery. Say, well, that's it. That's the last piece of machinery I'll ever need. Well, what happens if they have a young person that wants to come back to the farm? They'll have to eat those words quickly and probably play catch up uh, in, in terms of up, updating the machinery. And so, so there's a lot of, uh, we don't want to say this is, this is uh, real simple. It's not, uh, that, but that's why we, we start with some relatively simple um, you know, uh, examinations of gross revenue and profitability. Then we start drilling into specific uh, circumstances, specific uh, situations. Uh, Michael, you've given us a lot to think about here. Any closing thoughts and thinking about this feasibility issue? Is there uh, anything that you think we've left out? 
uh, that someone should consider? I think we've covered the bases here, and I think some uh, uh, some upcoming podcasts are going to cover some uh, other points that are important for the younger generation to think about uh, when they're coming back to the farm. Yeah, the, as we've stated numerous times, is it's all uh, intermingled and it's all related. So uh, you got to take the succession plan as, as a whole when you do this. So um, with that, for more inf- uh, economic information, we encourage you to visit us at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agricultural's website, which is ag.purdue.edu slash commercial ag. Once again, the uh, document that Michael and I discussed here today is titled, Is It Feasible for My Farm to Add an Operator or Hired Employee? Um, so if you go to the Purdue Center for Commercial Ag website and search for that, this document will come up. It'll also be linked in the description uh, for this episode. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and Dr. Michael Langmeyer, I'm Brady Brewer, and we thank you for listening. Thank you.